Well, decaying erosion uh, are certainly very relevant when you are an athlete and and you're trying to fuel appropriately for, for performance, understanding what the potential problems associated with that might be and then being able to manage those accordingly because it's all quite manageable. You just need to understand what it is and know how to deal with it. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Steph Gaskell. And I'm Alan McCubbin. We are both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask, the stuff that you talk about during your training session or it might be after, and what we aim to do is break it down, invite a guest expert or researcher for part A, and then we'll have an athlete or even a coach to add their perspective in part B. So today's episode is 49A. And the question is, are gels and sports drinks bad for my teeth? Uh, We're joined by dentist and ultra runner, Julie Savage. And we're going to discuss what's actually meant by dental health. Is it more than just how our teeth look? And what is enamel erosion and tooth decay? What effects do sports drinks and other products actually have on our teeth? Should we be trying to avoid them? And what what are the recommendations for best use? We know that we probably need to use some of these sports nutrition products. What can we do to help, I guess, protect our dental health? But before we get stuck into that, how are you going out? I'm all right, Steph. Bit wet. It's been uh, back to rain, rain, and more rain here. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was Halloween earlier, well today, as we're recording <laughs> yes. this. So took the kids out for trick or treating with some of their school friends, and it was umbrellas everywhere and mm-hmm. soap through to the bone. But uh, that's all a bit of the fun, isn't it? So yeah, no, it's good. Uh, and the other thing is, I got the blood results back from the five-hour running study. So all that oh. data's come back from the pathology lab that we sent it off to the other week. So that's great. Excellent. So just going through that at the moment and doing some data analysis. So then we'll have the exciting part to come. Yeah, awesome. That's very exciting. And you didn't dress up as um, any Halloween, you know, scary person? No. no? Well, I think I'm scary enough, Steph, so... <laughs> I don't need to dress up. Your kids will probably say you're scary enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about uh, you? Did you go trick-or-treating? Uh, no, but we did see the kids out there and Coops actually nearly got scared because there were these lollies down on the footpath and um, mm. the neighbours actually had must have had this, you know, like when a kid or someone comes up, there's actually then a scary voice that comes out and Coops nearly <laughs> shat himself. Yep. But our, are we going to tell our listeners about what we've got coming up yet or are we still going to make them wait for episode 50? I think what we might do, Steph, thinking about it, is we might wait till the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. 
yep. let people hang on just hang about on. That's another a good idea. 45 minutes, 60 minutes yeah. or so, and then they yeah. can find out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no fast warning anyone. Um, but, yes, it is episode 49 now, so get close. Yeah, yeah, it is. So just a reminder that you can find us on social media at The Long Munch on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. So if you've got any questions or feedback, you can find us there. Today's episode, Al, is Are Gels and Sports Drinks Bad for My Teeth? And we're joined by Julie Savage. Julie is a dentist and she's been a dentist for many, many, many years since like the 1990s. She was a high-performance cricketer back in her day and actually then became more involved in the administration part of it. And then that's actually how she started to get into running because when she was overseas, you know, she was, I guess, looking for for some other activity to do and running was, was an avenue to still get out and see the world, I guess. So she does crazy distances, anywhere from 50Ks, 100Ks, and I can't remember if she's done 100 miler yet, Al. So she does runs everywhere and she's participated in a lot of our studies at Monash University, which we're very thankful for. So mm-hmm. we thought no one better really because she's a dentist and then she's also actually consuming these nutrition products and would be just as concerned for her dental health as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this is an issue I think most people kind of have in the back of their minds and probably prefer not to think too much about, to be honest. Mm. But I think most people are aware that obviously if you're putting a lot of sugary drinks and gels and things into your mouth, then there's potentially a risk there. Uh, and as we'll hear about here, you know, the acidity of those products is potentially a bit of an issue as well. It's not to say obviously we don't eat other foods that have those things in them, but uh, obviously they're pretty common in our sports nutrition products. So yeah, it's good to get a good overview of you know what that that risk is i suppose and also you know what we can do to manage that risk as you said earlier you know we can't necessarily just abandon all these products and hope to still perform so Mm. if we do still need these products then how can we best use those and you know what other strategies can we use to minimize the impact that it does have on our teeth yeah yep let's uh get stuck into it yep let's do it Julie Savage, welcome to The Long Munch. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Now, Jules, you graduated from the University of Melbourne in dentistry, I believe, in 1990. And um, since then, you've had stints working in Bendigo, Wodonga and London. And for the most part, you've been, I believe, in Melbourne. So what prompted you into this career and how was working in in London? Um, I think like um, a lot of people out of uh, late high school, you you sort of have to make a random decision on what you think you might like to do in the future. And uh, I knew I wanted to do health sciences and I thought I wanted to work with people. And actually physiotherapy was my first choice, but I didn't get the marks. I was, dentistry was below physio in those days and uh, I got one mark too few to get into physio. So I got into dentistry and um, actually then researched it and thought, oh, yeah, this is this is probably suits me really well. And so I actually got a, a second round physio offer and, um, and turned it down and decided to 
to stick with uh, with dentistry. And it, as it turned out, it um, suited me exceptionally well. So I was pretty happy with that random luck fall into uh, <laughs> dentistry yeah. choice. Yeah. And then um, working in London, I actually didn't work too much in London. I went over to London to play cricket and um, worked for well, maybe three weeks or so to part fund my cricketing adventure over there. And uh, so worked for three weeks in an NHS practice, which was quite uh, s- stressful, I suppose, because all the, um, you know, it was pretty dodgy dentistry uh, mm. working to a, a very... Uh, a tight payment schedule and with poor equipment you know the curing light you had to turn it upside down and whack it two times to make it function <laughs> and, and things like that so it was a real experience with uh being handy with poor equipment but uh I'm not not too sure that the uh, quality of the nhs dentistry was uh, fantastic that that model certainly didn't promote good dentistry mm. yeah and now you um have shifted uh well I'm not sure if you're still playing cricket but you tend to run crazy distances and you've been running endurance and ultra endurance for I'm not sure how long um so yeah how long have you been running these crazy distances and what's the kind of the standout event for you yeah, well interesting it was through cricket that I got into running I I did very little activity after I had kids through my 30s and then um, for my 40th birthday my husband gave me a bike a road bike and so I started doing some road bike events and then when I was a selector for Australia and we started traveling overseas on my first tour they said oh we do support staff fitness and I'm going what support staff fitness like what's that um, <laughs> so because I couldn't take my road bike with me on overseas tours I um I started to run a little bit and then progressively ran more and then entered puffing billy race yeah. quite like that and then entered a half marathon and then did a few half marathons and then thought oh let's do a marathon so I tried a marathon and then I thought oh what about 50Ks? And it just escalated from there. And then it became, then I discovered trail running. I did two days trail run in 2014, I think. First marathon was 2013. And then 2014, I did two days trail run. I thought, oh, this is trail running. This is amazing. And then sort of it kept escalating from there. I did my first 100 Surf Coast Century, which I loved in uh, 2016. I had a really great day out. I think probably one of my favorite ultra runs was Bogong to Hotham because that was a stretch for me to get to the cutoff and I had a couple goes at it and was um was finally successful so that was a a very fond memory but primarily I I use ultra running as a means of of exploring places and you know runs on the Larapinta Trail and um the UK coast to coast run was a it was a highlight so just that exploring in different places um, it's a pretty good way to get around. Mm. Yeah, yep. And you've also done a bit of exploring in our lab quite a bit. So I did just want to give you a shout out because you've been just exceptional in terms of volunteering for a lot of our studies at Monash University for a number of us. And we haven't always given you the most exciting exercise interventions and the most exciting experiences, but you've always left with a smile when you keep coming back. So yeah, I I just added that in there. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, 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 you know, my thoughts on that are that, you know, you spend, as a runner, you spend a lot of time training, like, your legs and practising running out, but you don't really it's not such a thing to train your nutrition and so you know by by doing these studies that introduced me to the world of sports nutrition and, and I just learned so much you know you sit there on for two to three hours and there's only so many episodes of chicken run that you can actually watch um so you've got to learn stuff about sports nutrition um so I found it tremendously helpful particularly with racing um just to understand so much more and bust some of the myths that that I thought were were real things um mm. to learn that so I think I probably got more out of it than uh then I was useful, but but I'm pretty pleased that I was, I'm not in good running form at the moment, and I didn't have to do Alan's five hour study. That that sounded horrendous. Five hours at the treadmill times two, awful. <laughs> well, Julie, I'll just point out that in my study, we've evolved. We've now moved past Chicken Run on that tiny little DVD player that was about <laughs> as big as a smartphone. We've now got a bigger screen. We've got Netflix. We've got Disney Plus. We've got uh, a whole range of different options and you wouldn't have had to watch five hours of Chicken Run. You could have uh, <laughs> done like some of my participants and gone through, you know, an entire season of Game of Thrones or something like that. Oh, that sounds slightly tempting, but no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Keep trying, yeah. Um, <laughs> so our, our question today is in the area of sports strengths and gels and its impact on dental health. So can think of no one better than to have you on to help answer some of these questions. So in relation to dental health, what are we actually talking about? And um, is it just the teeth or is it more than that? No, it's it's a lot more than that dental health. And, and it's probably easiest to describe by um, by pointing out what, what we looked for when we, we see a patient for the first time. And you know, we'll, we'll typically examine um, radiographs, so x-rays of the teeth and the bones. We'll look at the facial muscles. We'll look at the lymph nodes of the, the neck. Uh, we'll look at the joint, the temporomandibular joint for health, soft tissues of the mouth, uh, looking for lesions, oral cancers, things that, that are a bit unusual. We look at occlusion, which is the way the teeth bite together and function. We look at uh, malocclusion, so crowding and, and things that might cause stresses in the mouth. Uh, we look at saliva, the flow and the consistency. Um, we're looking at periodontal health, so that's gum health, and, and that's sort of linked. Poor gum health is a chronic inflammatory condition, so it's related to a number of other chronic uh, or impacts on, another other, on a number of other chronic medical conditions. We look at teeth, and then teeth might be decay, erosion, wear, uh, restorations, fillings, cracks. There's a, there's a whole myriad of, of things we're looking for in the oral cavity. Yeah, and so there's a couple of key terms, I guess, that you just mentioned then. So enamel erosion and tooth decay, are these different terms that mean the same thing or are they quite different processes? Well, decay and erosion uh, are certainly very relevant for, for athletes. I think one of the things with, with dental problems and dental disease is they're often what we call silent, so you don't have any pain symptoms associated with them. So they're really pain-free until they get really big, really problematic and require a lot of intervention. And I, I think particularly uh, with endurance athletes who, who 
potentially have a, a slightly different relationship to pain and discomfort than the the normal community because that's that's what happens when you run or cycle or swim a crazy long way uh, you, you do get little niggles and so if you've got a little bit of cold sensitivity in your mouth for example you might think nothing of that but that might be a sign that there's there's something going wrong so that's that's one of the big things uh with with dental health problems that they are silent and uh, erosion and decay are certainly exactly like that. They they often don't cause symptoms, uh, so pain, for example, being one of the, the major symptoms, until they're really big and, and problematic. But uh, decay and erosion are both acid breakdown of the mineral in the tooth. So decay is a bacterial process whereby decay-causing bacteria convert sugars to acid and that acid then causes a demineralization of the the tooth structure or the tooth enamel in this in this case erosion is also a um an acid process but doesn't involve bacteria so it's again a chemical process where acid in the mouth and that causes a softening of the enamel which makes it more susceptible to wear the thing we sort of talk about as being most significant is the titratable acidity or the total acid level, that's more important than the direct pH because it determines the concentration of the damaging hydrogen ions that dissolve the mineral from out from the tooth structure. So simplistically, uh, sugar is more involved in decay, so sugar and acid, but sugar causes the, the production of the acid, whereas acid by itself is more implicated in erosion. However, it's it's not that simple. It, it's a complex play of factors in any individual that determines the susceptibility to decay or erosion or both. Yeah. Okay. So it's both sugar and acid in foods and drinks that can contribute to tooth erosion and decay. Yeah. 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 And are there things that are more of an issue in sports foods and drinks compared to your everyday types of foods? I think it's fair to say that foods that are more processed and those so that it include sports drinks and nutrition because in um, sports drinks and nutrition you want a convenient packaged product that allows you to to deliver the relevant nutrients that you're trying to deliver. So by nature, they're highly, usually highly processed, but the same thing applies to other highly processed food in the general diet. So generally, uh, whole foods are less problematic. And, and I certainly, um, I think one of your recent episodes, maybe on metabolic flexibility, I talked about rice and sweet potato purees. So something like that is relative is fairly low risk compared to say a processed sports nutrition product because the sports nutrition product generally trying to deliver a lot of carbohydrate and then to make that palatable over a long period where you've got factors like palate fatigue going on then they add things like citric acid um, sodium citrate which might be added for purposes of, of sodium I think Alan is that is that correct? Yeah. Sodium citrate's a vehicle for delivering sodium. Yeah. And then there are the shelf stabilizers that are very um, that are acidic as as well. So potassium benzoate and and some other things like that. There's often ascorbic acid in there, malic acid. Mm. Um, so lots of acids to make them both mm. palatable and shelf stable. And and that's where the the issue 
lies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is there something unique about exercise itself that would make sports foods and drinks more likely to have a negative impact on dental health when consumed during exercise specifically? Well, it's um, it's probably worth talking a bit about saliva at this point. So yep. saliva plays a really important role in maintaining the health of the oral environment. It's a... Um, it's a solution that has super that is super saturated with both calcium and phosphate ions, and in a in a bioavailable form. So they it plays a really important role in providing those ions to maintain the mineralized balance of the teeth, but it also has a a, a strong buffering capacity to sort of regulate the pH in the oral environment. So exercise in itself is. is especially ultra-endurance exercise, you've got the risk of hypohydration mm. or dehydration, I suppose, whereby your your overall fluid levels decrease over the course of the, the exercise um, and then that has an impact on the salivary flow. So your salivary flow can reduce and so the buffering capacity can be reduced as well. So you've got this perfect storm of, of hits, hits of carbohydrate with the acid in it and against a, a reduced um, buffering capacity of, of the saliva in there as well. And also, if you're anything like me, <laughs> when when I run, even at slow level, um, I'm mouth breathing. So again, that has another dehydrating effect on the oral cavity. And so you don't have that same level just through evaporation of buffering capacity of the saliva as well. So that those two two aspects, both mouth breathing and your hydration status play a very important role in um, in the quantity of saliva you have. So that's an important factor con- to consider that sort of compounds the uh, the potential issues caused by frequent sugar ingestion. You know, so if, if for example, say in in some of the recent episodes, the elite athletes trying to get maybe a, a hundred grams of of carbohydrate in in an hour um, for mm-hmm. performance. So to get that amount of carbohydrate in, it involves, unless you've got really super guts, you're not going to take it all in one bolus. You're going to take it in a number of steps over that hour. And the problem with that is that the frequency doesn't allow the saliva time to buffer and to get those calcium and phosphate ions in to remineralize before you've got another hit of the sugar and the acidity um, so, so the very nature of the exercise with the, the reduced salivary flow and the constant frequency of input to fulfil your fueling needs, um, yes, mm. create a, a, a problem, potential problem for, for the dental health. Mm. Yep, that makes sense. And I remember in my study, Jules, I can't remember if you were a very good saliva producer when I had you guys doing the um, saliva drip test. There were a number of Spitting into the tube. (laughs) Yeah, terrible. I got no saliva. (laughs) (laughs) Never do that again. Um, So should athletes, you know, also be concerned of other products that they might consume, like, you know, there's sports lollies and cereal bars or particular supplements I actually remember having a conversation with you one day about I think it was um kombucha and and vinegar and how you know a lot of athletes and general pop can think that 
it's really good for them and healthy, but it drives you a bit nuts. I was listening to one of your recent episodes on on cramping, and I think it was Ben, the chronic cramper, who um, who was using apple cider vinegar as a as a pre and 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 during to try and change things. Yeah, apple cider vinegar is has a really high titratable acidity and is a bit of a nightmare for the oral cavity. And I think to making a gross generalization, but a, a lot of athletes exist in that sort of internet wellness space. And there's there's been a lot of recent suggestions around the use of apple cider vinegar for gut health, and that's probably more your expert area of expertise, Steph, to say yay or nay. But it's terrible for the for the teeth. It's it's really and the same with um, citrus. So citric acid again has a really high titratable acidity, so it lasts. It keeps the pH low for a long time in the oral cavity, and so you know the old lemon and, and water. Um, as a sort of gut tonic, similar yeah. uh, similar adverse effects on on teeth. Mm. And citric acid is the the acid that's usually used from a food acid point of view in most sports drinks and gels as well. Yes, because it significantly increases the palatability of those those yeah. products. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds like the sports nutrition products aren't necessarily more erosive or lead to more decay compared to other processed foods that we might eat on a day-to-day basis but it's the amount we have and the frequency we use them as well as doing this during exercise that makes it potentially more problematic than day-to-day foods. Yeah yeah that's right and and particularly compounded by the decreased salivary flow and if you've got an athlete that maybe has another condition that leads to decreased salivary flow, so for example, asthma. So asthma medications cause decrease in salivary flow. And there are many athletes out there that are that are asthmatic and, and use um, preventers and and um, inhalers on a on a daily basis. And so you you add that and, and those people are potentially at greater risk. And and similarly erosion is caused by both intrinsic acid so it can be related to stomach acid so gastrointestinal reflux yeah morning sickness can cause intrinsic movement of the gastric contents into the oral cavity and then similarly extrinsic effects like in diet and and there's also some disease autoimmune disease states that cause reduced salivary flow so there's there's a number of factors that all come into play which means that each individual really needs to know what their risk factors are and then understand their dental health in relation to these you know to exercising and and potentially increasing their risk through the necessarily fueling that they're doing to to understand how likely they are to experience dental disease sort of compounded by their uh, ultra endurance fueling efforts (laughs) all right well let's talk a bit more about i guess the issues that do present then in athletes. Obviously, we know that's kind of the theory and, and why the products might lead to, to poor dental health. And I, I haven't looked at this for a little while, but I remember when I have, there are a small handful, not a lot of studies, but a few studies that have tried to work out whether athletes are more susceptible to dental caries, tooth decay, that kind of thing, compared to you know non-athletes. Uh, and, and there's sort of been mixed findings there. Some have su- suggested there's not much difference. Others have suggested that athletes do get a lot more sort of dental issues than than non-athletes. What's your experience been, Julie, as a dentist? Do you see your know, athletes 
guess, overrepresented for a lack of a better word, in terms of people that are coming in with poor dental health? Um, I don't see terribly many athletes in my practice, so a little bit hard to judge. I've certainly seen a number of athletes that have definitely had increased dental issues, which and go as far as tooth loss um, as a direct mm. result of their athletic career and, and that's not trauma so that's from ingestion of um, sports sports yeah. nutrition and 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 the other things that go with with being an athlete so it, it certainly from my experience yes it definitely does happen I think there's more there's a lot more awareness in the athletic population now the studies I've seen suggest that it's more prevalent in team sport than individual sport I think there are quite a lot of studies done in the UK in around the 2013 to 2015 mark looking at team sports as well as individual sports but specifically at at soccer and there seemed to be an increase amount in in, of dental issues um, be it erosion or decay in team sports and then there's been some papers quite recent papers 2019 I suppose that looked at, at oral health across the spectrum so looked at trauma uh, looked at erosion, caries, periodontal disease, which, you know, you probably would, there's no, I can't think of really how athletic would cause periodontal disease. Um, but but it, there's an increased prevalence in those groups, but I can't, I can't see how that's related to the actual, there's, there's no factors that seem to be related. Uh, may have been the socioeconomic status of, of those groups. It may be genetic things from there. But this, there was certainly an increased incidence of various dental diseases, which included trauma in, um, in sport, sporting populations. Yeah. And do you, have you come across athletes yourself, yourself in, in practice that you have seen, you know, sort of really poor dental health that most likely it's been that kind of frequent exposure to sports drinks and gels and things? Yes, I have. Yeah. And how sort of serious is, has that become for, for them? Um, well, it certainly involves tooth loss, so loss of, loss of um, mm. you know, so eventual de- decay mostly um, with eventual breakdown of tooth and tooth loss. So, yeah, there's a, a fair bit of expense involved in if you want to replace those missing teeth. So, there's, yeah, there's some flow-on effects. Mm, yeah. Um, do you think things are getting better or worse over time from, in that regard? Like, do you think uh, athletes' dental health is, is, like, people are more aware and they're getting better at that? Or And we'll talk about some of those strategies shortly. Or do you think, you know, just with more people out there being involved in sport, more use of drinks and gels and things like that, it's it's getting worse over time. Do you get a sense of how that's trending? Yeah, no, I don't really get a sense on how that's that's trending. Um, my 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 anecdotal experience would be that a, a lot of people in a, in a ultra running. And I'm I'm going to get slammed for this, but don't go to the dentist that often. Yep. <laughs> um, so, oh, I must do that. They say, and and that would be my my main suggestion as a as a sort of preventive watch option because all of this disease is pre- preventable and can be totally turned around with early intervention. So, if if people understand what their risk status is for the various conditions um, be it decay or erosion 
then they can manage it. So you know you have to fuel at whatever level if you want to achieve optimum performance. You know there are some risks associated with some of the products that you use to fuel. So, you know, if you can, then whole foods are going to be lower risk. And there's a whole lot of things you can do with oral hygiene and um, and and various other mechanisms to actually manage it really well. So it's it's like anything else. It's like an injury, for example. If you if you know and you you know you do your strength workouts and you do that, then then it's less likely to be severe and you're more likely to be able to manage it. It's just like any other aspect of of managing your uh, athletic endeavors. Mm. Okay, well, let's get into some of those strategies now in terms of what athletes can do to prevent uh, or protect their teeth, I should say. I guess the, the first one would be, you know, in the ideal world is thinking about those drinks and gels and things that both have the sugar and the acidity would be trying to reduce the frequency and the duration of exposure to those things. If possible, as you said, obviously, from a performance point of view, that's not always practical, but where, where possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and again, I, I think that if you can work in the whole food space, if it's if you're cycling and you can whack a banana in your in your jersey or something, then then that's a good option. And and similarly, that you know the sweet potato and the the rice puree sort of things. There's a whole a sandwich, a wrap, those, those sort of uh, things that are if if you can manage that in terms of the amount of carbohydrate you're ideally putting in, then those sort of things are, are good and they're probably going to manage your palate fatigue better anyway over the the, the long distance. But, yeah, I, th- I think just being aware of the the, the potential issues with, with, with what's in your product and understanding what's in your product that might be causing you problems and, and what those problems are likely to be and what your risk factors are for those problems mm. and if people are particularly concerned i guess about their drinks and gels and things like that like i guess from a manufacturing point of view and we sort of talked a little bit about this off air as well like the acidity that citric acid that's added to it gives it that real characteristic tang and you get that whether it's you know fruit juice cordial soft drink sports drink gels any kind of fruit flavored thing really processed food lollies all that mm. stuff all have that characteristic and if you take it out it just tastes really bizarre but there are some products around that kind of go without the acid are there any that kind of spring to mind from your perspective or ones that you've come across um not that i've enjoyed the taste of (laughs) or no i mean all those products don't really specify ph so or Mm. you know what the tradable acidity is so you're sort of extrapolating from the ingredients as to what that might be and and the quantities of those ingredients aren't really in there so in some cases it's well in most cases it's, it's really hard to make an informed decision on what product might be worse than and others and I'm sure if you did pH tests on the various products you'd find differences across the flavors within a particular brand differences across the brands and and so it's really a big unknown as to the specifics of each product so I think to make an informed decision on what particular product might be better than another is um you know, maybe you need to get a chemistry kit and 
and run pest <laughs> tests on, on them. But it, it, it's a very difficult space to be in because um, companies don't report on that. They report on, you know, carbohydrate, fat, sodium, mm. caffeine. Yep. I actually get to got to do some pH testing of a whole bunch of products, oh, I'm going to say about four or five years ago now, uh, for an article I did for Cycling Tips, and we, we published all of that. But, you know, as products do, you know, products come and go from the market and half those products either been reformulated or don't exist anymore so uh, it was good when it was done but um, that was a while ago now so I actually managed to go to a um, proper commercial food lab and and do pH testing on about I don't know 15 different gels and 15 different sports drinks but yeah that was a while ago now unfortunately. That would be very interesting. It was yes and there was a, a big there was quite a broad range, particularly in the gels I found, like some of them had a much lower pH than others. The drinks probably clustered a little bit more, um, but the, the gels were, yeah, much more variable in terms of the pH, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'm just thinking in some of the products around at the moment, probably the main one actually is Morton, the um, the sports drink, because it's made uh, in the way that hydrogel works, it's designed that when you drink it, it's a liquid, but then when it hits the acidity of your stomach, it turns into a gel, the theory being that it empties from your stomach more quickly, and then as it leaves the acidic environment, it actually turns back into a liquid again. And so that product actually doesn't have, the reason that it's not flavoured is because you can't put citric acid in it, because if you did, you'd end up with a big block of jelly in your drink bottle. Yeah. But what it does mean is that the drink, when it's as you drink it, is not acidic. And and actually, that's one of the things that they're marketed on more recently is you know, benefit from a, a dental perspective as well. Yeah. It, it has pectin in it, which is what does does that gel factor. And, and pectin is acidic in various um, points, but it's certainly not as acidic as, as some of the the other things and and it can be manipulated depending on on its concentration to mm. to be be less acidic but I, I don't know about the actual acidic content of those things but yeah yep. yeah but yep. if, i think that's part of the I'm not totally sure of the chemistry but i think that's part of the reaction is that pectin turns into whatever the relevant act, acid of pectin is as mm. part of that hydrogel process but yeah um, not totally sure on the chemistry of that one, so happy to be corrected. <laughs> um, and I guess the other the other possibility, and you may have experienced this in the various studies you've done in the lab, is the old DIY sports drink. You know, get some water, put in some maltodextrin or glucose or fructose powder, whatever it is, and that way you're not adding any food acid at all or any any form of acid. Obviously, you've still got the sugar there, but not the acid, which is a, a good start. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, a that's a very effective way of of fueling and and creating some flavour differences too. Is you know you add your maltodextrin to your savoury broth or or whatever, and and you know create a bit of flavour difference there. So they're all good good strategies for for reducing certainly the acidity side of of things. Yeah, I guess the other thing that that sometimes people don't consider so much is obviously that there's a certain amount of you know your sports nutrition products that you kind of need during training and racing to get the carbohydrate that you need from a performance point of view. But sometimes people are quite reliant on those products before and after exercise as well. So I guess that's the other strategy that you could look at is, again, as you said, trying to switch back to whole foods when you're not actually running or on the bike or whatever it is and relying on those sort of non-acidic products more at those times. Yeah, and I think being conscious of, of what's in in your, in your food, and I, I think it was... Um... 
Oh, who is your master's scientist who was a great speaker on um, master's athletes? Oh, Peter Rayburn. Yeah, 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 fantastic. And he talked he talked about uh, sort of eating eating the rainbow and lots of variety in mm. in diet. And you know, speaking of masters athlete athletes, that's another area where salivary flow deep. Perhaps not you, thirty five year olds, Steph. Um, <laughs> but that's another area where uh, salivary flow certainly decreases with increasing age, and and so another risk for perhaps the older athletes is that you know, their salivary flow is uh, decreased, and and certainly. I think in in particularly in in women past menopausal age, their, their thirst sensation drops off, so they're more likely to be dehydrated if they're not strategically dealing with that lack of lack of thirst that that goes on. So again, slightly higher risk. Does the temperature of the drink make a difference in terms of its potential for erosion, or is that a bit of a misconception? No, apparently it does. It impacts on the depth of the erosion and. The studies are a little bit vague. They they all talk about that it does, and it's something to do with the liquid flow at different temperature, but the depth of erosion is much greater at higher temperatures for the same acidity. But the exact mechanism, I can't tell you what that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So colder drinks are better by the sound of it? Yes. Okay. Well, that's probably fits with what people prefer anyway, so that's a, a good yeah. outcome, apart from if you're in the middle of the snow or something. Um, are there any other products or foods that you can think of that we haven't really discussed so far that you think that that listeners might find useful sort of, sort of helping achieve their sports nutrition goals, but at the same time, I guess, reducing the risk to their teeth? Um, not that I can think of in a, in a strictly athletic sense. There's some evidence that milk products, because they have calcium and phosphate in them can aid in in remineralization so as a recovery beverage that's probably a good thing although if you probably do the good old chocolate milk chocolate milkshake you're probably adding a fair whack of sugar in there you might uh, negate the benefits but you might have a neutral benefit from it better than uh, better than a straight out negative benefit yeah so that's, that's certainly um dairy products are, are considered to be useful in the remineralizing space. Mm, yep. And I know we were talking off air again a few years ago, there was a, a product here in, in Australia, a sports drink that was designed to be better for your teeth. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's no longer available, but uh, as well as being low in acidity, it actually had added calcium to it as well. And I know there is a couple of studies that have sort of used that in a, in a research project and shown reduced erosion so maybe you know uh, higher calcium sports drinks in the future uh, I think again that's a bit of a trade-off with that tanginess and flavor uh, the calcium kind of ruins mm. that a little bit but um, yeah that's that's maybe something that can be useful as well yeah and the same with bicarb in in that too I mean bicarb tastes disgusting so if you can if you can like bicarb it becomes alkaline so mm. you know sort of mitigates the effect of the the acidity but you can probably correct me here. There's um, some studies on bicarb in reduce changing the lactic threshold or something. Is that is that correct? Do I recall that somewhere? Yeah, for those sort of very short, very high intensity events, but usually it's taken in capsules, so you're not actually going to get it in your mouth. Um, or you can, you can yeah. actually just mix up bicarb soda in water and drink it. I know a couple of athletes have tried that. And they say it's just disgusting. They've never it's, do it. Yeah, it, it would be disgusting. Mm. So yeah, yeah that's um. It's probably not a practical solution, but it would work. Yep, 
And, and you mentioned obviously before, like the lack of saliva, like that dry mouth obviously increases that risk of erosion as well. Obviously, apart from being better hydrated during exercise, is there anything else that people can do? Like, is it a myth that you know, if you have your sports drink, if you then you know flush your mouth out with water afterwards, is that going to be is that going to be at all helpful, or is it not really going to do much? The water doesn't prevent erosion. It can certainly rinse whatever the product was out, but I think the general thinking is that like it's it's slightly better, but it's certainly not going to prevent the erosion caused by the acidic drinks it might having a water chaser might help with your hydration so from that perspective it's it's good but it certainly won't outright prevent erosion it might assist a little bit um, so it's not worthless but it's certainly not going to prevent it yeah okay there's a couple other i guess relatively common probably dental myths around sports nutrition that we might just quickly run past you one of them is that if you brush your teeth soon after consuming any acidic product whether it's a sports drink or you know it could be lollies like it doesn't have to be necessarily during sport or a sports specific product but any kind of acidic type food um if you're brushing your teeth soon after that can that actually do more damage more harm than good rather than you know should you wait a period of time for example to brush your teeth after having that that kind of food um, yes, it can certainly cause more damage if you brush immediately after having acidic drinks because the enamel's softer, so the, the micro-hardness of the surface is softer. And so if you brush, you're actually almost contributing to the wear. So one of the problems with erosion is that the softened enamel, you then go and sort of grind your teeth on it or eat and all those sort of things. The wear rates are much quicker than in, in an uneroded or an unsoftened enamel. So, yes, the same thing applies with brushing. And, and we often see people with various erosion conditions due to increased acidity who actually wear the sides of their teeth away from scrubbing too hard on the softened enamel. And that can lead to all sorts of sensitivity and, and, um, and similar things as well. So you should wait uh, 60 minutes um, is the recommended time after consuming acidic things before you before you go and brush yeah there are there, there are a few other products dental products on the market for dry dry mouth that are often used for the some of the autoimmune conditions or post chemotherapy where you get dry mouth uh, post radiotherapy so i don't i don't know if anyone's ever tried some of them in um in in an athletic sense but uh there are certainly some dry mouth sort of gels and and lozenges and the like which stimulate the salivary flow um the other thing that's often recommended dentally to stimulate salivary uh, flow is sh uh, sugarless gum so chewing gum and then there's a a um a, a product available which is cpp acp which is case it was actually uh a lot of the research on that was done in melbourne uni um, a number of years ago, it's a casein-derived product that's basically a saliva biomimetic, provides bioavailable calcium and phosphate ions, buffers the saliva, and it has quite a lubricating effect. So that's that's a, a good product. We use it a lot as a remineralizing agent for people that are susceptible to decay. So that's another a 
quite a good product and there are some chewing gums available with that product in as well so you get the salivary stimulation from the uh, from the chewing effect plus the, the remineralization by having all those calcium and phosphate ions in a bioavailable form so there's a few there's a few products on the market like that that are, are quite good and and if you're at high risk of erosion or decay because of your baseline dental health and or your athletic endeavours, then that's a really good preventive product um, to to use. Yep. And is that the one that people refer to as tooth mousse? It is, yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so then that would be a product that people might use like away from the exercise, like in the morning or before bed or something like that as sort of counteracting the erosion that might have happened. Yeah, yeah. Normally you you just use it as a paste. You, yeah, you smear it on the teeth a couple of times a day, last thing at night, you leave it sit there, breaks down in saliva and provides those bioavailable ions. Yep. Okay, cool. And I was, I was going to ask you about the chewing gum, so it sounds like that's a useful one, and I'm sure being a, a former cricketer, you would have been all into chewing gum, or is it only the men? No, no, no. A lot of the girls were into it, but no, that was oh, it's never a chewing gum, chewing yeah. gum girl. But um, no, it is it is very effective, and it's a good sort of thing if you're at high risk of decay or erosion, and you're not in a situation where you're able to brush um, and do all your normal oral hygiene things. Then then it's a good, better than doing nothing that actually provides a benefit sort of solution. Yeah. Okay. A couple of final quick questions. One of them, I've always been interested in this because I've noticed within my family and then my wife's family, you know, different families seem to have, like the whole family seems to have a lot of dental problems and other families don't have much. Is there a genetic component to that as well in terms of some people just seem to be at higher risk of, you know, tooth decay and erosion where others seem to be more resistant to it? Yeah, there's um, there's some uh, there's some thought that a lot of your oral microbiome is delivered to you via your primary caregiver in the, in the first period after birth and mm. so if your primary caregiver has active decay then they're going to have a high concentration of those cariogenic bacteria which they're mm. very going to thoughtfully hand on to you and and similar with periodontal disease uh, so you basically can get set up from birth for those sort of things so it is a sort of genetic Thing, but it's it it can be altered, and and then there's also you know things like natural salivary acidity or, or the the natural pH of your saliva and those things which are are, um, are are more potentially genetic related, and then there's probably some environmental factors mm. like diet, oral hygiene, dental attendance, that sort of thing yeah. that all come into play as well that tend to run in in families there's certainly some genetic you know missing teeth sort of things that are tend to skip a generation but then then appear in the the next generation so there's certainly definitely genetic components to dental health and how things present and you know where things sit in the face and all all that sort of thing there's there's a definitely genetic factor there but there's also that pseudo i don't know whether you'd call it genetic or in environment but it, it's it's um it sort of comes from from your primary caregivers around birth as to what sort of microflora you end up with to start with or mm. microflora you start with it's not yeah. nature or nurture it's kind of the two at the same time mm, a bit of yeah. both yeah 
Okay, and then finally, I guess if athletes are potentially concerned about their dental health, I mean, obviously they should go and see a dentist, but what are the things that they should look out for themselves to indicate that there might be something going on or they probably need to see someone more urgently than not? Like I said at the start, because dental diseases and dental conditions are are really silent, they're often asymptomatic till they become extreme and often unsalvageable at the point where they become symptomatic. It's a bit of a tricky one. So I I think the best thing to do is to actually see someone and have a good understanding of what your dental risk is. And so whether you're someone that's prone to gum disease or prone to dental caries or prone to erosion, and then understand what you need to do like have the advice around what you need to do that's specific to your needs because everyone's so different and there's so many factors that go in. It's a bit like that, you know, the whole metabolic flexibility thing and and, all things in in athletics. It's so individual, isn't it? Mm. Like how you respond to different amounts of carbohydrate and different exercise and different temperatures. Everyone's really different and it's no change with with dental. Everyone's bodies are their own unique thing and, and you sort of need to understand the um you know the the specific characteristics relevant to your dental health and then what you do with that and what how that's likely to affect you know when when you when you are an athlete and and you're trying to fuel appropriately for, for performance understanding what the potential problems associated with that might be and then being able to manage those accordingly because it's all quite manageable You just need to understand what it is and know how to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, I'm going to hand over to Steph now and she is going to finish off with our bonus round. Awesome. So, Julie, if you weren't working as a dentist, which it sounds like you really love, and you went down a completely different career path, what do you think you'd choose? Well, I'm sort of evolving into that at the moment as a um, as a little bit of a side gig. I'm becoming a farmer, so I'm I'm growing vegetables in my spare time. So I've got a little market garden that um, I'm establishing, and I'm trying to grow nutrient dense food for for a number of reasons. I, I think um, you know climate change. I, I think agriculture has the uh, potential to make a massive difference to climate change quite quickly, and I wanted to do my little bit to increase biodiversity in my little patch and also you know do some things around food supply chain and communities and reusing and recycling and all those sort of bits and pieces um so yeah so farmer is but i'm i'm sort of doing it a little bit at the moment transitioning yeah (laughs) and one of the things on your bucket list you haven't yet done Oh, I have quite a um, a giant excavator worth of a bucket list, but a lot of them involve travel and I would, I'd love to go to Adelaide. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> you got no, me there. No, I'd really, no, I'd actually like to go to the Biscoff factory. <laughs> Love um, it. But more seriously, um, Patagonia. <laughs> I'd love to go to Patagonia. And the other the other really keen travel spot is um, 
northern Australia. So anything sort of, I haven't been north of Cairns really, and well, north of Port Douglas, and um, and sort of north of of Geraldton on the other side. So that whole top bit I haven't explored, and I'd love to explore. Yep. Um, after you go to Adelaide. Um, so yeah, I'll go on the way. <laughs> what's a sport you've always wanted to try but you haven't had the chance? Well, funnily enough, and I, I haven't really tried it because I think if I try it, I'll become obsessed with it and and then that'll be my new thing, is um, mountain bike riding. Yeah. But it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely yep. going to yep. happen. Especially where your farm is. Yes, yes, up in yep. Bright. It's, yes. Yeah. Prime yep. mountain bike territory. It is, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been getting into mountain biking a bit more, Jules, so you can come and join me. Um, what's an ultra-endurance event you have yet to do but it's on the list? Well, the, the one the one I sort of um, I, I had pre-COVID on the list was the 128Ks at Western Max Monster on the Larapinta Trail and then sort of COVID got in the way and then menopause got in the way for me and I've become perpetually injured ever since. So mm. it's sort of unfinished business. I'm, I'm not sure with my injury status at the moment whether I'm ever going to get back to being able to contemplate running that far, but um, mm. we'll see. Mm. I was very inspired by um, your triathlete, Mary, or oh, just yeah. general yep. all-round amazing athlete you had on yep. the Masters podcast. And I was going, well, if she can do millions of Ironmans at 60, there's hope for me yet. I'm way younger. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, she's actually just, I think, yeah, finished uh, Kona Ironman was last weekend or two weekends ago. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you live by any piece of advice or particular motto? Yeah, um, so be curious, make a difference, and smile. Nice. Yep, like it. <laughs> and you definitely do that. And is that the reason behind your actual dental business name, Wonder Smiles? Yes, yes. Yeah? <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Jules. This has actually been super informative. I know I've learned a ton. Alan's learn a ton, I reckon, um, and our listeners will have too. So thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was great. Thank you very much, Julie. Now I'm going to hand it over to Al to summarise about all the things we can do to protect our teeth. Mm. Yeah, so our question was, are sports drinks and gels bad for my teeth? And I think Julie did a really good job of summarising this, but so I'll, I'll be fairly quick. But I think, I guess the key thing is, yes, they can potentially be bad for your teeth, but they're not necessarily any worse than other acidic, sugary foods and drinks that we eat in our day-to-day -day lives outside of exercise as well. And there's plenty of those around, you know, fruit juice, soft drink, uh, lollies, uh, even things like yogurts are fairly acidic and have a sugar content to them as well. So there's quite a few foods that we tend to eat. Dried fruit is another one that have these kind of properties to them. And I guess that the things that we're worried about from a dental health perspective is tooth erosion and decay. So they're kind of similar processes that kind of have slightly different names just because of the way they work. So erosion is just 
where the acid is wearing the enamel on the outside of your teeth on its own. So anything acidic that goes into your mouth, regardless of whether it has sugar in it or not, can cause that kind of erosion. And that's a concern potentially because things like sports drinks um, do tend to be quite acidic. Most of them contain citric acid as part of the the flavour profile of the drink, and it gives it that characteristic tang that you get with juices and drinks, uh, soft drinks and sports drinks and all those kind of drinks. And if you take that out, the drink tastes really strange. So all of those fruit flavours kind of rely on citric acid, whether it's in lollies or, or liquid form in beverages. And the same goes, obviously, for gels as well. So that's the erosion. And then the decay is still caused by acid wear, but it's where you have the bacteria in your mouth are munching on the sugar that's inside your mouth, and then the bacteria producing the acid that then goes on to cause the decay. So again, it's still acid that's breaking it down, but in this case, it's not acid directly, it's the sugar itself. So even a food that's not acidic, but has a lot of sugar can cause that. And we didn't talk a lot about this in the podcast, but you can have certain foods that are particularly sticky, things like muesli bars, dried fruit, that tend to get all trapped in the cracks and crevices between your teeth. And obviously then that sugar gets stuck in there for a long time. And then our saliva has one of the enzymes that breaks down carbohydrate into sugars if it isn't already sugar. And then you've got that sugar kind of coating all those nooks and crannies inside your teeth where the bacteria are going to munch it up and produce that acid. So that's the... The problem, I guess, with those kind of products, and I guess, you know, sports drinks and gels, is there anything significant about those? Well, as I said, not really. Other foods and fluids that we have in our usual diet often contain the same amount of acid and sugar, but I guess the difference is that during exercise, we probably use them more frequently and for over a prolonged period of time rather than just, you know, three or four meals a day. Uh, It's sort of drip feeding it over you know quite a length of time particularly if you're an ultra endurance athlete and the other thing that changes during exercise is and this is not for everyone but for a lot of people you can have reduced saliva flow because you know you're breathing through your mouth your mouth gets kind of dry um, or the effect of hypo or dehydration as well reducing that saliva flow and the saliva has components in it that can buffer that acidity and actually protect your teeth to a large extent so that's a bit of an issue as well so technically it's the titratable acidity um, or the total acid level that's the, th- the the important thing we tend to think of it in terms of ph because that's what's easy to measure uh, and as i said in that interview I, I did some work a few years ago now doing an article for cycling tips where we actually measured the ph of a whole bunch of different commercial drinks and gels and things that's still available online i'm sure you can google cycling tips dental health something like that and you'll you'll find that although as i said in that interview some of those products are probably been reformulated or, or no longer exist and other products are more more prevalent now uh, i guess as julie said i guess how you get around that well obviously whole foods if they're less acidic are going to be potentially less problematic so you know she mentioned a few examples there things like bananas um, things like you know the rice cakes maybe you use for for cyclists and, and that kind of thing um the rice or potato purees that sometimes ultra runners use might be a bit better as well just be again as i said before be conscious of things like cereal bars or dried fruit that do get stuck to your teeth or stuck in the gaps in your teeth because actually that might be just as problematic even though they're quote unquote whole foods um i guess the other things you can do obviously you know regular brushing and flossing is important but we don't want to brush within 60 minutes of consuming these acidic type products whether it's sports drinks or it could be things like soft drink or even beer and wine are quite acidic so all of those things you really should be waiting at least an hour 
to brush your teeth because the enamel is softened at that time. And if you brush, you actually wear down the enamel even more than, than just consuming that acidic drink. So you can do more harm than good at, by brushing in that phase. But some of the things that you can do, uh, calcium and phosphate are important. So dairy products can be really helpful from that perspective or calcium and phosphate enriched you know, plant milks and, and that kind of thing. Uh, maybe post-exercise is not a bad idea. You can get, or there has been in the past, commercial sports drinks that have included a little bit of that calcium and phosphate in it to, to try and help a little bit with that as well. Then you can look at things like the remineralization with the, the gels and the tooth mousses and that sort of thing that Julie mentioned, the CCPA, sorry, CPPACP, which I won't go into that, it's a chemistry name, but basically it's derived from casein. So unfortunately, if you're allergic to milk, you can't have it. Uh, but it is derived from casein protein and uh, it's in tooth mousse in Australia. Probably the most common one is called GC tooth mousse, which you can buy from pharmacies and things like that. And you just smear it on and, you know, before bed or, or you know, after brushing your teeth, if it's going to be a long time until you eat. And that can help remineralize um, and, and reverse some of that loss from dental erosion. Other than that, you know, water chasers, we talked about that. That has some effect, but pretty limited. So it's certainly not going to be the be all and end all in terms of protecting you, but it's certainly better than nothing. Sugarless gums is, is the other one. And I guess just trying to be conscious of, you know, in what situations do you actually need drinks and gels and other acidic and sugary foods and fluids? There's obviously a time for it, but I guess if you minimize the times that you, you don't use it when you don't need to use it, that's probably the best thing that we can do, then maintain good oral hygiene. And finally, as Julie said, a lot of dental problems go along with absolutely no signs or symptoms. You have no idea there's an issue happening until it becomes really bad and you risk maybe losing a tooth. And once you've lost it, it doesn't come back. So from that perspective, you're having a regular checkup with your dentist is really important from that perspective, because unless you do, you're not going to know whether you're someone who is at risk and maybe needs to take extra precautions in this area or not. Awesome. Well said. So next episode, we're up to 50A out. Yeah, so we were going to have uh, episode 49B and an athlete talking about dental health. But unfortunately, for personal reasons, the guest that we had couldn't make it at the last minute, unfortunately. So that's fine. Life happens. And mm -hmm. so that's not a problem. So we've decided we're actually going to take a week off. So we're no mm -hmm. podcast next week. And then we're going to come back the week after that. Uh, and it'll actually be a few days late as well for that one, which will put some information out on social media about that. Uh, and that's because this particular guest who I'm about to announce is actually away. And uh, we're going to wait till he comes back to do the recording of it. But our special guest for episode 50, it's not the common question that we have. It's similar to episode 25 last year, where we looked at the Nike Breaking 2 project and the nutrition for that. This time, we're going to be joined by ultra-running coaching legend Jason Coop from the US. So Jason trains many of the world's top ultra-runners through his business CTS Coaching. He's also an, an author or the author of the book Training Essentials for Ultra-Running, which is a bit of a Bible for training for ultra-runners. He's also the host of the very popular Coopcast podcast as well. So I know I've been a guest on that podcast and another one of our colleagues from Monash, Chris, has been on there before as well. So, yeah, really looking forward to having a chat to Jason. 
We'll talk a little bit about some of the athletes that he's worked with over the years. Uh, I guess where he sees nutrition in the ultra running space going. You know, he's involved with a lot of guys at sort of the cutting edge and elite ultra distance running. So he can look at some of the trends and things that are happening in, in that space and, and what's happening there. And some of the, the stuff that happens in research, how he sees that playing out in the real world with the athletes that he works with as well. Awesome. Looking forward to, to that one. And I'm sure many of our listeners are. I know some of our listeners already listen to his podcast. That, mm. That'll be awesome. And then just a reminder that if you do have a question that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us at The Long Munch on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And remember that there's, you know, more than 40 nine episodes uh now questions that we've already answered so if you're new to the podcast welcome um you might like to check out the back catalog to see if there's something there that will be helpful to you most podcast apps only actually show you the last few episodes but if you click back you'll find the rest of them are going back till november 2020 if you want to be notified every time that a new episode is available, you can hit subscribe on the podcast app that you're listening to this on. And if your friends are asking about a particular nutrition issue for their training or for racing and you're sick of hearing about it, then you might like to get them to ask us the question on the podcast and then we can answer that for them and they can then hear it on there. So other than that, we will love and leave you and we won't see you next week, but we'll see you the week after. Yep, we'll do. See you, everyone. <laughs>